Well, good morning, Grace people. Good to be with you today, whether you are here present with us in the building or whether, as Dan said earlier, you are at home like the smart people who avoided like not getting onto the roads today. Pretty crazy to be out there today, but I'm glad that uh, we are together in spirit one way or another. A little family news as we get started this morning. We lost a dear member of our family this past week. Gene Eastland died this past Thursday morning. And uh, if you didn't know Gene, you really missed out on something on this side of eternity because uh, Gene was uh, somebody who regularly spoke in front of the congregation sharing scripture. Uh, Gene was somebody who I had the privilege of getting to know just briefly in my three years here at Community of Grace, and he will be deeply missed. His funeral will be this coming Thursday at 11 a.m. right here in our sanctuary. And, uh, and if you're thinking, well, it's a little unusual maybe to include this kind of in information in the middle of one of my sermons, I would say there's a particular reason why I'm sharing this today. And it's because if you knew Gene, you would know that his love and faith in Jesus was beautifully connected to his love for his history and his family. Gene loved to tell stories. He loved to tell stories about his travels. He loved to tell stories about his personal history, his family history. He celebrated them. He wrote about it extensively in a personal memoir that he wrote down. Gene just loved to tell stories. It was part of what grounded his experience of life in real time with real people in real places. It's just a part of who Gene was. Gene wanted you to know who he came from. Kind of reminds me of my own father, Vernon Melvin Vick. My dad passed away in 2005, but towards the end of his life, and actually even much earlier than that, he loved to document his family history. He spent a lot of time going through things that I'm sure he would have loved to have seen today uh, with things like Ancestry.com, probably would have saved him some work, but, but he did a ton of work in focusing in on his family history. As a matter of fact, he created a bunch of file boxes. I think there's over a dozen of them that contain not only history of his family, but then his own personal history through life that he documented for us to be able to go back and review. I, I brought a little piece from one of those things. This says, box one, book A, to give you an idea of how organized my dad was. <laughs> All kinds of information and things that are inside of this book. It's filled with, with photos. Some of them are photocopies of photos, but they're photos of family going all the way back to 1870 and, and then history that's been documented from travels to Norway as, as well as in here some of the original documents and, and letters even of the travels of my grandparents as they made their way across the ocean on a white star line. Yes, the same line that carried the Titanic was the line that carried my family from the old country in Norway across over the land. And, and then there are pictures of all kinds of people in these things too, and he kept a picture of himself. One of the pictures of himself here is his confirmation picture. I just love this photo, a little picture of my dad. Oh, there we go. A little picture of my dad seated there. He's got the carnation on. He's, he's got the, uh, the document in his hand that proves that he was confirmed. And, uh, and if you look close enough, you'll probably see it. There's a little bit of family resemblance there too. Maybe not in size and stature as it seems right now, but, uh, but certainly um, in his eyes and in his receding hairline that I'm blessed to have inherited. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that, that's just family. Family was important to my dad, and he wanted people to know who he came from. And that's a question that's for us today, too. Who do you come from? This is how we personally answer this question. It's through all those different things, those layers of family and of place and of time. 
They're important to us. It's important for us to know. And, and really, as seekers and followers of Jesus, the answer to this question is profoundly different. We want to talk about that some as we work our way through our new sermon series. We're working through a discipleship sermon series, and the title of the sermon series is The Following Questions. And we're looking at five particular discipleship questions that help us frame our following of Jesus and what that means. And the fact is, is that the answers to these questions can be answered one way or multiple ways, but they have a particular way that we view them as followers of Jesus. I've already mentioned here what the first question that we're going to be facing today is, is who do you come from? That's question number one. But then we'll have follow-up questions over the course of the next five weeks. The second question will be, who is on your team? Definitely a question that can be answered a variety of different ways. Third question will be, what's the problem? Maybe another way of phrasing it would be, what's your problem? But, but we're not going to phrase it that way. We'll talk about what is the problem. The fourth question becomes, what does success look like? What does it look like to succeed? And then finally, what power do I have? What power do I have? Five important questions. And today we're going to begin that journey of discovery and exploration by looking at that first question. Who do you come from? And in order to start that conversation, we're going to open up our Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. If you brought your Bibles with, please open them up. I love it when people have God's Word in their hand, whether it's on your phone or your tablet or, or in a, a printed format, whatever it is, if you open that up so we can read this together. So follow along with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And then verse 19 brings it all into a culmination, saying this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Paul writes this letter and says these extraordinary things. And they might not come across as extraordinary to our ears, but I want to try and put you in, in the framework and in the time of when Paul was writing this letter and to who his audience was. The audience that Paul was writing to could be broken easily into two groups, okay? The first group was the Jews, and the second group was everybody else. Everybody else. 
Because that's how they would have been seen through the eyes of Paul and through the eyes of those who were receiving this letter. There were the Jews and the non-Jews. Another term for the non-Jews was Gentiles. So anytime you see that word show up, Gentiles, Gentiles didn't identify one specific small ethnic group of people. Gentiles included everybody who wasn't a Jew. Okay? So Paul is writing this letter to these two groups. And these two groups had some hostility towards one another. There was hostility that had grown over the centuries. It wasn't God's intent that there should be hostility between the Jews and the non-Jews, but there became that reality over time. There were things that separated them, things that kept them apart from one another, things like the law and the commandments, things like history shared together by by the groups and, and then not shared by other people who were not part of these groups. So Paul is writing this letter, and in this letter to these two groups of people, he is saying something incredible to them. He's saying all that stuff that used to keep you separate from one another, through faith in Jesus, it's gone. Through faith in Jesus, there is no longer two separate groups, God's people and not God's people. Through faith in Jesus, there's only one. They've been united together through Jesus. All the barriers of hostility have been done away with, both hostility between humanity and God, as well as brokenness from one group to the other. This is incredible. This would be an amazing message for people to hear this. You Gentiles, all of you who were non-Jews, you used to be outsiders, but because of Jesus, now you are family. You are family. You know, we have a value here at CGLC. It's one of our five spoken values. It's the first one of them, and it's Jesus makes us family. And that's what is being said here, but it's being said here in such a rich and beautiful way. I want to try and capture this so that we understand the implications of what it means when we say Jesus makes us family. It ultimately means this. If Jesus is your Messiah, then Israel is your family And the entire Bible is your story. We say that again. If Jesus is your Messiah, then Israel is your family, and the entire Bible is your story. When I say Jesus is your Messiah, that word Messiah is is Hebrew. The Hebrew translation or word of that is Mashiach, Messiah. And it's translated in Greek to the word Christos, which is where we get the word Christ. So when we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are claiming Jesus the Messiah as our Lord and Savior. That ties us into this family, to this incredible family and the story of this family. That all happens because of Jesus. You see, here's the thing. Faith in Jesus doesn't just save you from your sins and damnation. It definitely does that. It's a wonderful, incredible, amazing gift of God. But it's also much more than that. Faith in Jesus Christ connects you to a rich story that starts in Genesis, carries all the way through the Bible, and concludes and culminates in the book of Revelation. It's all there, and it is all now part of your story, the story of your family that you are now included in. It's an amazing, incredible gift. Paul says it another way and, and ties this together in another way in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians that was written to the church in Corinth, another very diverse group of people, predominantly non-Jews in this particular story. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Paul is helping this diverse group of people hear the same message, the same message that he sends to Ephesus. He says, listen, these ancestors, they're not just their ancestors, they're our ancestors. They're yours who have been brought into this family through Jesus. You're all part of this family. What an incredible gift. What an incredible way to understand who you come from. But we struggle. We struggle. There are real struggles that we face even in the face of this reality. Let's talk a little bit about how we struggle with this question of who you come from. Sometimes we limit our story to just the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes people just go to those particular books and go, well, that's the whole story right there. That's all I need to know. Just give me Jesus. Just let me know about Jesus. I don't need all the rest of it. I just need to know about Jesus. Here's the thing. That's wonderful. Of course we start with Jesus, and we end with Jesus. But if you don't know some things about Jesus' family... You'll miss out on the richness of the story. In both the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, there are genealogy accounts. Lots of times people just kind of skip over those. They're like, oh, okay, it's just a list of names. What, what does that all matter? No, it's critical. Knowing about the story of Jesus, where he came from, helps to connect you to the much bigger story, the story that God is up to all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the Bible. And also, if you, if you read these Gospels and don't see them in light of the whole of Scripture, you'll miss out on a lot of what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus, again and again and again, makes reference back to his family of origin. He makes reference back to the stories of the, of the biblical characters who show up again and again, and of the words of the prophets. And he goes back to those places to speak about them and to not know them firsthand. You're missing out a rich part of your family's story. Be like me telling my family that the story just starts with me. No, there's a history, a rich lineage that we get to dive into and draw from, and it's amazing. But then beyond that, sometimes we also splinter the Old Testament narrative into individual character stories with a hero and some nice little moral teaching. Now, some of us maybe have experienced this at different times in our lives or, or even through Sunday school. I'm, I'm so grateful for, for Britta and for Victoria as they lead and guide our children because I know that they set what they teach into the context of the full story. But so often it's easy for us to just look at some of these Old Testament characters and be like, oh, well, here, let me tell you a neat little Bible story about David. Oh, David was a great man and David was loved by God and, and David slew Goliath and you should slay the giants in your life the same way and be a good person, amen. And you're like missing out on the whole reality of who David really was. Because yes, David was chosen by God. Yes, David was a king. Yes, David accomplished a lot. 
And there's a lot more to the story about David. You dive into the story of David and you find out that David, in a lot of ways, was certainly no hero. David had all kinds of flaws and failings and things that God had to deal with him on over and over and over again. And it's not just David. Go down the list. It's Abraham. It's Moses. It's Isaac. It's Jacob. It's their spouses. It's Adam and Eve. It's Cain and Abel. Go through the list of these stories, and you'll find out that these aren't just great moral upstanding citizens. That's not how we're to see the story. We see the story in all of its messiness, too. I mean, read about these characters, and you'll come across stories about murder, lying, mental illness, adultery, corruption, rivalry, marriage disputes, tribal warfare, revenge, suicide, gossip, and treason. Aren't you excited to read the story? It's all there, folks. It's all there. And it points us to one other critical thing about the story, and that is there is only one hero, Jesus. Jesus is the only hero of Scripture, friends. Everybody else is just a part of us learning and understanding, growing into our need for Jesus, and helping us to realize the miraculous ways that God has been working even through all these broken, flawed people to bring about his divine purposes. Thank you, Jesus, that you're still doing the same thing today. Otherwise, I couldn't stand here. That's just the truth. And that leads into the next reality that we struggle with, too, which is sometimes we let our own personal stories define our connection to Jesus and each other more than we let the shared story of God's miraculous rescue of us all become our story. Sometimes we feel like the foreigners or strangers that Paul refers to here. We get stuck in the details of our own story, what we know about it, what we don't know about it. I remember being around a circle with, with my mom just this, this past Christmas as we were sharing stories and going back and forth and and sure enough, in the midst of this story, my, my uncle was sharing some things, and, and he was sharing some things about the family, and I could see my mom getting very uncomfortable. Because there were some things that not all of us had heard fully about the story. And in that moment, in my mom's eyes, it was like, oh, no, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be sharing that because now everybody's going to get the wrong idea. No, no, actually, it gave us the right idea, which is, yeah, of course we're a broken people didn't make those people in our lives suddenly feel like less of the heroes or, or like somehow they were less than perfect. We all knew they weren't perfect. We knew it all along. And it wasn't trying to cast shame on anyone. It was just understanding that in the story, including in the Bible stories, we can see the brokenness of humanity and the brokenness of people. And if your own story doesn't line up to the fairy tale that some people want to paint of their own lives, hey, you're in good company here, friends. You're not strangers or foreigners. Because the story of Jesus that comes from the story of the entire scriptures, that story is filled with all those same kinds of people. Welcome to the family. <laughs> Welcome to the family. I mean it. You are not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. Your sin isn't something kind of special that, that excludes you somehow. Not at all. When the question comes to us of who do you come from, 
rather than first going to that personal story of our own brokenness or the history that we don't know, rather than going there first, instead, you should hear this. You are a part of a beautiful, broken, amazing, scandalous, miraculous, and messy family that has messy stories and that unites you with everyone in this room and everyone who has ever claimed Jesus as Lord. Everywhere, throughout all history and all time. Your personal story should always be seen in the context of the greater story, the bigger story of what God has been up to. Now, this doesn't erase your individual family history. I'm not asking you to deny those things about yourself or pretend it never happened. Instead, it simply redefines that story as a part of God's story for which we are all included through faith in Jesus Christ. That faith in Jesus breaks down those barriers of hostility. It breaks down those things that have separated us from one another and that we think separate us from God. Those stories are broken down and put aside because of God's great love and his desire and his forgiveness and his redemption and his reconciliation and all those fancy words that just mean you are in through faith in Jesus all the way, all the way. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Jesus. Nothing at all. So where do we go from here? How can I encourage you on the next step in your journey? Well, let me give you three things. First of all, I want to invite you to come and be with us on Wednesday nights. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Lenten experience. Some of you may think that Lent is just one of those old words or it's just something that, that people who used to love only being in church because they were Lutherans or Catholics or whatever, that that was a Lent is something for them. It's not really something for me. I want to invite you to come and be a part of this. Whether you've ever been to one or you, whether you've been to thousands of them, come on Wednesday nights throughout this Lenten journey. Because we're going to be connecting what we talk about on Sundays with these questions to some real practical ways of living out this discipleship and following Jesus. We're going to reinforce that on Wednesday nights. So come and be a part with us on those Wednesday nights. Hey, we'll even feed you. Get here at the right time, you can get some food out of the deal. Come on, there's nothing wrong with that. For five bucks, a measly five bucks. Come get some homemade soup and a sandwich and, and be in fellowship around tables with God's people. That's family. And then learn together on those Wednesday nights what it means to be following Jesus and some practical things that we can apply there. So that's number one. Do that over the next five Wednesday nights. Number two, I want you to look forward to this summer. Who's looking forward to summer? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, after a morning like today, who could say anything else, right? Yeah. Well, I want to get us to summer, and I want you to realize that when summer comes, I don't want you just to disappear, okay? <laughs> I know you've got cabins and places to go and things to enjoy. Of course, go ahead and enjoy all those things. But when you are here or when you can make the connection, whether it's online or in person, be here because this summer we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. 
Now, why is this so important? I think it's really going to help all of us together on this journey. Lots of times people will ask me, hey, pastors, there's like some book or commentary or something you could give me that would help me understand the, the Old Testament and how it relates to the New Testament. Can you, can you just give me something that will help it do? I say, yeah, and it's actually right in the book. It's called Hebrews. Hebrews is like a commentary to help us understand this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, getting a picture of this full story. It's wonderful, and I want to encourage you to come and be with us. It'll be 12 weeks long. You can jump in. You can jump out. You can be reading along with us. Do that in the summer, starting this summer. And then let me leap forward even further to the fall. Who's looking forward to fall? No, good. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> it's like, can we get to summer, please, first? Yes, I agree. Let's get to summer. But then after the summer, we're going to come into the fall, and as we come into the fall, we're going to start another part of our journey. We're going to begin going through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and covering the entire story starting in September, carrying us through the church seasons like Advent and Christmas, carrying us all the way through then into the new year and into Lent and into Easter and then on into the, the beginning of, of the summertime. But we're going to follow along through the whole story in something called a narrative lectionary. Now, if any of you have ever been to a church that preaches from the lectionary before, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to be in this boring thing where we're just going to hear random texts that are going to get pulled out and they're going to try and make a connection of them together. It's not that, okay? <laughs> I promise you it's not that. This is going to be a way for us to engage in the full story of Scripture, and it'll take us the full nine months of the school year to go from one end to the other. Is it going to be comprehensive? No, but it's going to help us build into our brains our family story. We want to get God's story, which is now our story, into our hearts in a way that we can, we can access it spiritually. We can access it mentally. We can, we can access it through our emotions and through our full lives before the Lord that we recognize that we're part of this full story. I want to invite you to come and be with us starting in the fall to do that. It's going to be a good journey. It's going to be a really good journey. Let me close by saying this again, though. It's easy to come to this place and to think about yourself and to think about your story and to feel feelings of shame or of guilt or of division or feeling like you are lesser than somebody else here because obviously that other person doesn't have my story and, and, and their story looks so perfect and their family looks so perfect and clearly there could be nothing wrong with them and it's all something that's wrong with me. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus makes us family. And everybody here has their own individual stories. But when we come together into this place, when you are drawn together in relationship, there is grace to cover every one of those circumstances in your life and in my life. There is grace that is here. We're not calling ourselves community of grace by accident. It's our expectation and hope that we will live in and up to that word. And we're not always going to do it perfectly. <laughs> we're going to fail along the line too. But if we can trust in the grace that God offers us, the unmerited favor, and we begin to show that to one another, and then we let it flow out of us, out into our broader community, well, then we'll start to see that grace in every corner of our community, not just this congregation, but the community around us, and to the extended family, and to those who don't know yet 
the joy of being a part of this family. That's my hope and my prayer. As we move forward, it's just Jesus and his family, which is who you come from and where you belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you brought us to this place by your Spirit. You have united us through your Son, Jesus Christ. You have given us the gift of faith to trust and believe in him. And from that place, Lord, we can live in your grace. We can experience the ups and the downs and the difficulties and the brokenness and and all the challenges that this life throws at us. And we can be a different kind of people, a new creation. Because from all of those differences, from all of those places that have divided us, from all the brokenness that we see in our own lives and in the world around us, we can trust, Lord, that because of you, Jesus, you have made us citizens of your kingdom apart from any other citizenship that we may claim, we claim that one first. Citizens of your kingdom, of your people, God. And then members of your household. And whoever lives in your household, Lord, they are family. So thank you for that gift today, Lord. Father, please extend that gift to the ears of every person in this room and anybody who might be watching this online, that they would hear this, Lord, and if they're saying to themselves, I don't know if I'm a part of that family, Lord, may they hear your invitation today, Jesus, saying, come home, come home. Be welcomed into my household. Be welcomed into my family. Whether it's the first time or whether it's the hundredth time, whether you felt distant or whether you felt near, Lord, as you call out and speak peace to those who are far away, peace to those who are near. Shalom. Right relationship with one another and with you. Thank you for doing that which we can't possibly do for ourselves. We pray this today, Jesus, in your name. Amen.